Hello, welcome to another episode of the SkyTap Virtual Training Podcast. If you're new to the show, my name is Noel Wurst, this show's host and moderator, and SkyTap's content marketing manager. The main goal for this show, just so you know what you're in for by giving it a listen, is sitting down with some of the most respected individuals in the e-learning and L&D space to get their thoughts on the current trends and recipes for success in the training industry today and tomorrow. This week, we're sharing a conversation that we had with Clark Quinn at the 2016 Learning Solutions Conference and Expo that was held just a few weeks ago in Orlando, Florida. I and others from SkyTap had a fantastic week at the show, and Clark's session, Measurement Matters, the How and Why of E-Learning Metrics, was a huge part of why the week was so great. I and SkyTap Cloud Solutions architect Ralph Capasso got the chance to sit down with Clark to dive deeper into why he believes that L&D has the opportunity to be the most valuable part of your business, but only if L&D stops focusing on things that don't result in a measurable business impact and instead uses data to align and run much more efficiently. Well, there's the bell, so we're going to dive right in. I'll be back at the end for some quick housekeeping, and I really hope you enjoy the show and to have you join us again for future episodes. So, Clark, in your session yesterday, which was titled Measurement Matters, the How and Why of E-Learning Metrics, you mentioned that um, you evangelize about measurement a lot, and uh, um, you mentioned that the learning community uh, isn't doing a good enough job with measurement, and I wanted to kind of get your take, a little bit of a deeper dive on where they're failing. Uh, is it how it's being collected, um, what kind of data you know should or shouldn't be, how it's being reported back to the business, things like that? Sure, no. Um, to me, we're collecting the wrong data. We're not measuring the right things. What we see being reported by STD, State of the Industry Report, and others are metrics about how much does it cost to have a bum in a seat for an hour. Um, and that's well and good after you've had an impact. But to be measuring that and only that, and benchmarking yourself against everybody else, you, what you're missing is whether that bum in that seat for that hour is actually doing anything. What you really have to measure is the thing you're trying to change. So, and that depends on which business you're assisting. If it's sales, it could be you know the cost of sales or the time to close or the hit rate. Those are the things people need to move and those are what you should be measuring first. And then you go back and say, you know, and you determine what you need to change. And then you figure out what it would be different in the workplace. And then you figure out what intervention do I do. And you can measure all the way back up. But at the end of the day, you want to see if that needle's moving. And if it's not, your learning isn't achieving anything. Uh, in our business, um, we see a lot of technical uh, hands-on training uh, for products. So to advance the learning of particular competencies and in, in, in products uh, amongst customers. We see metrics like net promoter scores, which you may be familiar with, um, which seems to be measuring how well students enjoyed the class or how well the instructor was prepared for the class. But again, it doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, collection of metrics on what it really means uh, to the business. What are, what are folks needing to do if they're only collecting things like net promoter scores? What would you suggest uh, data they can collect from the student directly that would help them better uh, 
collect the kind of metrics they need. So the, the problem with asking people's opinions of the quality of the learning experience is the, the correlation between their assessment of the experience and the actual quality of the experience is essentially zero. It's 0 0.09, which is zero with a rounding error, okay? Um, it's just not uh, valuable. You can ask them if they're applying it in the workplace. They can ask them if they're getting the support. And Will Tallheimer's written a new book that, about smile sheets that talks about improving them. There are things about it, it but that's still not enough. That's not really going to tell you if it's making any difference in what the training is about, is supposed to accomplish. So without, you know, you only can ask stuff of the learners. The first thing is you don't ask it right after the learning experience. You ask after they've been back on the job uh, for a certain amount of time and say, are you now applying this? Um, is, how is it making you change? But ask, you know, you want them to be reporting on what's actually happening, not their opinion of it, if at all possible. So something that else that came up yesterday during your session, which I really liked, I like when people get up and actually say some statements that ruffle feathers and or at least make people think at the very least, was that you said that learning and development are, um, uh, has, the, has the opportunity to be the most valuable part of the business. And I think that's probably because of the business impact uh, that, they can, um, that they can bring about. But I was uh, wanting to get your take on, on how you see them being able to be that essential and then maybe how they convey that message uh, to the rest of the business. Well, and it's really not about training where that value proposition comes in. So the premise is, is that the world's changing faster. And the ability to plan and prepare and execute against a predictable world is no longer really valid. And what's going to be critical to organizational success is the ability to be nimble, to be continually innovating, learning continually. And really, when you're innovating, you're problem solving, you're troubleshooting, really you're learning because you don't know the answer when you start inherently. So those are forms of learning as well. And that sort of being able to learn more effectively, efficiently, is really an opportunity for L&D to seize it. I have a simple statement, L&D isn't doing near what it could and should, and what it is doing, it's doing badly. <laughs> Other than that, they're fine. But the point on the not doing near what they could and should, they could and should be facilitating and ensuring that the, the culture is right and the practices are right so people are getting the maximum from working, you know, doing the knowledge work, working to get alone and together as effectively as possible. That's the opportunity for L&D. And if they're doing that, if they're helping make sure that the things that the organization needs to do, the innovation and the, and the troubleshooting and all those agility activities, if they're the ones making that most effective, that is the most critical contribution really to the organization. IT is a tool, it's a valuable tool, but using IT to be more closely aligned with how we think, work, and learn is the real opportunity. And that's where I see L&D can seize the day, and if they don't, they're decreasingly relevant to what the organization needs to do. So one of the ideas for, for how they can start to do that, and you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, was, was uh, uh, starting with business impact um, and, and prioritizing that and, and even incorporating business impact in design. So for organizations that have, uh, who agree with that but have not started it and have never even contemplated doing it that way, what are some of those first steps that you can do to um, not just think about business impact first, but like you said, actually involve, make that part of the design process? Well, let me go back. And, and to that split between the optimal execution that's only the cost of entry anymore and that continual innovation 
And right now, just starting with that optimal execution, the things that we typically do, we too often take the, the request for a course and develop a course without any consideration of what that course is really supposed to achieve. And more importantly, what is the real problem? And so the first thing to do is start not just saying, okay, you want a course, great. It's saying, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Moving to a performance consulting where you say, is it really a skills ability that these people don't have the ability to do when they need to? Or is it just they're not able to access the knowledge they need right now? Or is perhaps they're perfectly capable of doing it, but they believe they're supposed to be doing something else? Or their incent the reward system is structured to have them do something else? You need to get down to the root cause of the problem and the root um, uh, at gap in performance, and then say, what's the right intervention? If you do that, and part of that ends up being about the measurement, because you say, how do you know this isn't where it's supposed to be? And you use their metrics. And you start doing that, and you start building credibility for actually having demonstrable impact on the business. Then you move to the continual innovation side, and you start facilitating that, but you start looking for metrics about what innovation is. Are we, you know, reducing the number of um, errors in our production by new processes? What, what's our rate of new product ideas? Is that increasing? Is the quality of product in ideas increasing? Are we reducing code errors? Are we troubleshooting faster? There's lots of ways, you know, and it's, it's more challenging, admittedly. People talk about intangible benefits, but I think there are things you know that if that they start happening more frequently and you just have to figure out what those things more frequently are that are signs of you doing the right stuff so but i say build the credibility by first applying these measurement matters back to the optimal execution side that'll give you some credibility that you can start leveraging to start addressing the continuing innovation side So let me see if I understand uh, that response and apply it to something we see, again, in our field, mostly technical training. Uh, the theory is that uh, giving appropriate instruction on skill sets will make your customers uh, repeat buyers or renewed subscriptions at higher amounts or even reduce the burden they put on your technical support staff. Uh, are you saying then... You know, instead of maybe looking at it from a, I need to teach you know these certain behaviors or these certain practices within uh, my product technically, I should go back and look at what are my top 10 support cases and uh, perhaps create curriculum around the things that people stumble over the most? A absolutely. I mean, what are... The the reason you'd go back to those you know, top 10 support cases, these are the problems people have. And it might indicate interface or product redesign um, because it's fundamental to just, it's not matching the way people's brains work. It could mean, but many times, and I don't know you, but when I use technical products like my iPhone, I've never had formal training on it. But I figured out how to use it with the interface. And then when I have trouble with it, I go to the site and try and use self-help tools. And if I don't remember afterwards what I did to fix it, it doesn't matter. Learning doesn't, you don't, doesn't have to be the outcome to be the solution. Mm. So a performance support tool, when people watch videos about how to do something like, you know, fix their dryer, which I did um, not that long ago, I don't remember now what I did, but I solved the problem in the moment. So yes, 
go back and figure out where the barriers are. Now, if people need to use your technical software and it's complex, and I figure anything more complex than roughly a, a digital clock is probably reasonable to have some training, but you'd like that, you know, if you're doing it well, and too much technical training is woefully abysmal, by the way, um, because they tend to teach you all the way through the menu items and instead of giving you the model behind what's happening. And I can go on a whole diatribe about that. Um, but the, the point being that, yes, you should have measurable impacts, but they should be in reducing the number of support calls the, in, um, and the, the cost you're saving indeed should be lower support costs. That's kind of what you'd expect. And of course, and uh, Kathy Sierra has recent book, Badass, talks really nicely about helping people be successful and building raving fans, not because of your product, but because of what they can do because they have your product, but then they become really loyal to the product, but that comes about from design, not training. There is some learning affiliated with it, but you try and build that into the product itself. And the last question that I had for you was, you also said yesterday during your session that you know, people who care deeply about metrics uh, that matter are taking an engineering approach to training. And I think we've kind of been touching on that a little bit as far as uh, looking more at the support cases instead of just you know, getting people trained quickly or training a certain number of people. But there's a lot of sessions at this show and at a show I went to recently about metrics and proving training's value and staying relevant. And it, it seems like a lot of these suggestions help with that and that you're, you're not able to just go to um, you know, the CFO or the business and say that you reduced the cost of training or that you were able to train more people. You're able to go and this approach, this engineering approach shows that you really did impact the business. You didn't just impact training alone. And there's a lot more to the, to the learning engineering approach, but it is, and at the end of the day, being able to make a real argument that by design we solved this problem. Um, there's a number of practices, you know, when somebody comes to get, ask you to make a course, you know, go look at the material, you talk to the subject matter expert, and then whatever they tell you, you put into the course and, and you finish it. And there's a number of reasons why that's just broken. First of all, subject matter experts don't actually have access to 70% of what they do. It's just, it's compiled away, which is part of our brain architecture. So just taking what they tell you doesn't work, and then just presenting that information, doing a knowledge test, is what our, these tools and this pressure for speed do, but that's not actually gonna to lead to any be ability to do anything differently. And, you know, continue. So if you really want to take an engineering approach, you know, an engineer, um, somebody yesterday was talking about when you go to your mechanic, you know, he says, what's the problem? What you talk about the sounds, and he does some diagnosis, you want to find out what the problem is. And then you work backwards and you um, say, well, what was the change? You know, and there's some art to it too. The, the, we, you can systematically design the engagement in. There's still a little bit of creativity in there. But even thinking about engaging the heart as well as the mind is going deeper into the cognitive underpinnings. And that's the main problem. We don't design learning for the way our brains really work. So then when you work backwards and then design forwards and test and verify and measure and tune until you get it right, that's an engineering approach. That's going to lead to uh, real measurable impact, and that's the story you're going to be able to take back to the CEO at the end of the day and say, I helped the company this way. And then you can go in and do the ROI calculation, say it only cost me X mm -hmm. to move the needle Y, but now it's not this, this faith-based approach that we have to learning. It's a, basically, if I build it, it is good. And most of corporate America's attitudes towards training is this, well, 
we know it's school, and I went to school, and this looks like school, so it must be good. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's not. So we rarely get to talk to folks who, uh, who are experts at, at metrics around training. Uh, I was curious if you've seen any studies or just in, in your travels, you have seen any research on the effectiveness of training um, that's not only lecture but also provides a hands-on uh, interactive experience for the student, whether it's a technical lab uh, that supplements the, the instructor-based training or you know, something that they actually go and do by way of demonstration. Have you run across the effectiveness of training in, in, the, in those scenarios? Um, yeah, there's been a, a variety of studies. Well done you know, done properly with the right ratio of content presentation to practice and, you know, meaningful challenges and uh, where it's retrieval practice and stuff, yes, you get significant effects of it. Particularly, you know, the, the work of David Jonathan on problem-based learning um, and uh, meta-analysis and Strobel and Van Barneveld did showing that if you give people real problems to solve, um, not only do they retain it better, they don't perform right as well on an immediate test afterwards, but they retain it much longer and they're able to transfer it better. So we know that, you know, giving people challenges that require to draw upon the knowledge and first drives them to the knowledge, then requires them to draw upon it and retrieve it in a context and apply it. And if you give the right context, they can abstract across it. Yeah, we have strong evidence that that's much better than trying to just dump a bunch of knowledge in their head. Uh, but, you know, too often we do the ratio tends to be 80% content presentation and 20% practice, and I think we have to kind of flip that um, <laughs> roughly to, to get real sustained abilities. But yeah, anyway, giving hands-on is, is, is the right way to go. So class, what did we learn today? One of my big takeaways that I'm still dwelling on was when Clark talked about the speed of business today and the need for constant innovation. Where learning and development can play a huge role in enabling constant innovation is making sure that they're focused on the agility activities. And he mentioned being able to troubleshoot efficiently uh, as one of those, and that's an awesome example. And he says that if, if training can be who is making sure that the business excels at those agility activities, then they're instantly making an invaluable contribution to the organization. To learn more about Clark, and I can't recommend enough that you do so, please visit his website at www.quinovation.com. Thank you again for listening today. We hope you got a lot out of the show. And before you go, one quick homework assignment for you. If there is anyone from the training, e-learning, or L&D community that you'd love to see us have as a guest here on the show, let us know. Drop us a line on Twitter. We're at at Skytap. And I'm at at Noel Worst, and we'll see what we can do. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope to see you on future episodes. <laughs>